Low down with low tide for Wolf GMC Buick. The Discover Winter event is on now, and they're blowing out remaining 2023 GMCs. Discounts up to $8,000 plus 0% financing. Visit wolfgmcbuick.com. Uh, Kevin, weeks an hour ago, major potential NHL expansion update. Exciting news from Georgia, Forsyth County is about to greenlight the arena project, a significant step towards potential pro hockey team. Stay tuned for updates as buzz around this groundbreaking development continues. I think they'll go to Salt Lake and Atlanta next time. And I was I was trying to think of the name of the arena the Atlanta Flames played in. Uh, it was the Omni. For those old-timers who didn't remember that, it was the Omni. And they were in the old Patrick division with Cliff Fletcher and uh, Bernie Jeffron and Tommy Lysiak. It was a fun team. They were a good team. They were good early. Um, they didn't win Stanley's, but they were they were good early. Joined now by our friend Bruce McCurdy from the Cult of Hockey at the Edmonton Journal. Bruce, you remember the Omni, right? Uh, well, I never actually got there, but yes, uh, I may even seen a game from there. I think Toronto played Atlanta in the first round one year, and they had a road game on. <clears throat> Back when they had the best of threes, you know. Yes. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Oh, yeah. 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 You don't it's don't sneeze. You, though. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. I don't think gotten Omni on the first grass. Maybe you looked it up. <laughs> I well, no. I, I, well, I'm reading the uh, uh, the Hockey News Archive, and I'm on 1973 ah, yeah. now, so it's all oh, fresh. Right there. <laughs> yeah, the Flames crushed the Islanders coming out of the expansion gate. Eh? It yeah. took the Islanders a couple of years, and then whoosh. Well, they got the Islanders were losing, but they got Dennis Potvin and Clark Gillies and Brian Trottier, and that was all she wrote. Um, Bruce, first of all, congratulations on your article about the Oilers in January. Um, in looking at that month, it's funny because every line, every statistic is like worth bolding and putting seven exclamation points in it. That was that. I think I can't remember what you said. Like they're not this good, or they're not going to do this again, and. It really was a, a, an impossible month, and it came at the right time. It's something special for Oilers fans. Yeah, well, first, congratulations to you on your article about the Oilers in January. And very nicely uh, time that we independently chose the same topic on the last day of a perfect January. It was great. Very I loved unusual. It. Just the third team in NHL history to... Uh, uh, go unbeaten and untied or unloser pointed uh, in uh, entire uh, months, and not surprisingly, all three of those teams came in the Bettman Point era, where ties no longer happen. Somebody wins every game, and the Oilers came out on the right end of a few coin flips, I would say, last month. But um, uh, pretty hard to argue with twenty-two points out of eleven games. Bruce, you are are my historian, so I will ask you this, and and I know you'll give me a good answer. I, I, in real time, I would get outraged at the NHL for changing rules all the time. Uh, you know, there was nothing wrong with the tie. If you're going to go to extra points and whatever, give three points for a win. It's yes. it's been discombobulated and mussed up so badly. Mm-hmm. So when I somebody asked me the other day, what does this streak remind you of, or is it more impressive than? And I said, well, what I remember is the 35 and five Philadelphia Flyers uh, in yeah. 79 80. But I have no way in my mind, maybe you do, of of comparing and contrasting because they are the way points were given out and you just said it with the Bettman point and everybody has to win. It is so difficult to, to sort of parse it and come up with some reasonable explanation about why one record would be more important than another. 
Yeah, the Flyers, I think they were 25-0-10 in their 35-game unbeaten run in 1979-80. Pat Quinn, head coach. And so, of course, there was no overtime at all in those days. So ties were ties. There was no losses in overtime, which originally meant zero points for the loser. And there was none of this modern stuff of every game has a winner. And some of them, you know, some games have a win and a tie and no loss. And, you know, anyways, it's it's all discombobulated now to uh, to logic and mathematical reason, to be honest with you. Uh, still, of the other two teams that uh, uh, went undefeated for an entire month, uh, they won one or two games each in the shootout. And the Oilers in January didn't even need a shootout. They won a couple in overtime, but they won all the games that they won playing real hockey. So that, in that limited sense, they actually are uh, established at first. Uh, anyways, they uh, they were rolling along, eh? And, and first in uh, penalty kills, first in power play, first in goals against average, first in save percentage. And uh, they uh, they were uh, uh, doing it a very unorder-like way. Uh, defense first. I recall one time I looked up the Oilers' history, and I think there was two, maybe three, it's been a while, but a very tiny number of years where the Oilers ranked better in goals against than in goals for out of like 44 years that they've been a team now. And a couple of years the same, and otherwise they've always been sort of an offense-driven team. And I mean, last year, first in goals for, 17th in goals against. Yeah. And yet here we are where they've had now a 16-game a, a run where they allowed just 24 goals and just 14 and 11 games in January. It's just so against the norm for this franchise, and they're not even particularly scoring at high levels. They, were, they are ninth uh, in goals four per game in January. But first with a bullet and goals against, there's only two teams in the league, Winnipeg and Buffalo, within one goal against per game of the orders, 1.27 goals against per game in January. So it's it's just been a really sort of out-of-body experience for the franchise. And that brings me to the trade deadline. And, and we want to take advantage of your many years of watching uh, hockey and deadlines and getting ready for the playoffs and you know, the, the Habs making a trade for Frank Mahalvich and ruining my life. And I, I, (laughs) so I, I look at this team and I like you like to follow along at home. I I think that's the great sport of hockey for fans is that you get to, you know, argue whether a move should be made or if it's made, then should it have been made? But I, I look at Calvin Pickard. I look at Dylan Holloway. Corey Perry just got started. Uh, A lot of people want Cody Cece replaced. And Apparently. I, I, I like I'm looking at this and I'm like, I'm not saying Ken Holland will do nothing. We know he'll add a number seven defenseman at the very least. But you sort of have to see this like Pickard has to play it out, right? Like you got to play him to the deadline, play him, you know, six times or whatever it is, because I think these players have earned the right to show you what they are because they have played well for this team. Well, they've been successful. Absolutely. And there's no pressure on um, uh, the GM, whoever it is that's pulling the, the trigger, let's say Ken Holland. Uh, in fact, there's kind of a counter pressure on him not to make any moves until as close to the deadline as possible. 
because in the interim, he's accruing cap space to take on a larger salary. And, of course, the minute he takes on that larging, larger salary, that equation starts working in the opposite direction. So there's no rush to make a move on February 2nd that they could make on March 2nd. Uh, and, in fact, quite the, quite the contrary. So they have that month. And fortunately, despite the absolutely terrifying start to the season, they're not only back in the playoff race, but they're very comfortably ensconced above the playoff cut line where they've reached a point where, you know, they're no longer playing must-win games every night. Obviously, you want to win every night. But they're in a position where they can cruise for a while and stay in good position. And all the while establish, A, where their biggest need is, and, you know, work the market. But you really don't want to pull the trigger till I would say, within a week of the trade deadline. Yeah, it's... it's um, I... I like I've mulled this over and I, you know, I'd love to have Lindholm. I just don't know if they can get him. And I, I think the, the need to get a right-handed defense. Let's talk CC because I, mm-hmm. I like, I know nurse CC are, are, um, the results are not what, what Bouchard Ekholm are, although th- that, that group plays as part of a five man group with the McDavid line. But yeah. I, I, like I, and, and I don't know how to describe it to people, but I, I, I think sometimes, not just Oilers fans, but all fans, they become fixated on one thing. And, and I think that there has to be, if you're the management of the Oilers, you have to, you have to put the equation in front of you and make it reasonable for what you're seeing. And Nurse Cece, I don't think is tragic. And so, and they're also here and Cece's contract for a second pairing right defenseman is a good one. I I feel like there's a there's an urgency there where maybe that's not as as um provocative or as 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 um um uh dead, deadly to the team's chances of winning a Stanley Cup as people think is that fair? Uh, yeah, I think it's fair. You know, I wish I had a loony for every time I've seen or heard the two words CC and upgrade in the same sentence in the last couple of weeks. I would be a rich man retiring <laughs> to my own tropical island, I think. Because it just seems to be the same verbal, very same word, upgrade CC, upgrade CC. And I understand it, and I understand that his uh, and nurses, uh, uh, you know, expected goals for percentage and so on, a five-on-five is considerably lower than Ekholm Bouchard, who, as you say, A, they're an outstanding defense pair, and you're not just going to go out and get a second pair just like them because it doesn't usually work that way. But also, uh, the uh, Nurse CC pair are playing more with Evander Kane than they are with uh, um, uh, with uh, Nugent Hopkins and, and Hyman, and you know it's just a, it's a different dynamic when they're out there. Uh, the other thing about the uh, uh, about the analytics, they all seem to be at five on five, and here's a Oilers team that's given up one power play goal against in an mm-hmm. entire month. Yeah, penalty kills been awesome, and CC's a big part of that. But you know, we got to upgrade CC, and <laughs> I mean, they can, and I mean, it's possible that they you know, they could work out some kind of a deal to bring in a different two right defenseman and improve the team. I just say you've got to tread carefully when you're doing that and recognize entirely entirely what it is that uh, that you're moving away from before you do that. 
Bruce McCurdy, our guest, called Tavaki at the Edmonton Journal on Sports 1440. As I mentioned earlier, Bruce, I like to play along at home, and I do think I'm about to give Ken Holland credit, so you might want to hang up. Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> I'm okay with that. Because if you endorse what I'm, I'm saying... <laughs> but I think you look at the six defensemen. They've been healthy. They've been playing well. But if he acquires a legit NHL veteran defenseman, which he can at, at reasonable cost that for number seven, and then they have Broberg as number eight, we know, Bruce, that oftentimes in the playoffs, it's a marathon, not a sprint, and you're going to use way more than six, maybe as many as eight defensemen. I think it lines up pretty well for Holland. I think the 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 bet here coming into view looks like it's a pretty good one on defense. Fair? Yeah, well, my bet is that Ken Holland will trade for a defenseman. Yeah. And uh, so far I've been right four out of four years since he got to Edmonton. In fact, his first trade was Mike Green, Dmitry Kulikov, uh, Brett Kulak, and, of course, Matthias Ekholm last year. Each year that was the first guy that he brought in was uh, was a defender. Last year he had to sort of clear the salary decks by moving out Pugliarvi a couple days before. But uh, that's... You know, that's been his M.O., and typically that guy has been sort of tagged in as a, a second-pairing level defenseman. This year, as things stand right now, uh, I'm not sure that's what they need. I mean, if you can upgrade CC, you're probably going to be moving out CC in the process because otherwise your your cap dollars aren't going to work real well. Uh, but there is, a, there is a gap at number seven. I mean, we've had... Ben Gleason there and Philip Kemp and uh, a couple guys that really haven't even had to play and it's maybe just as well because they don't have any NHL experience and I'm pretty sure Ken Holland does not like a scenario where his seventh D is not very experienced and you know Broberg is a nice option to have and frankly if someone gets hurt in the top six I would expect to see Broberg in there over the guys that have been sitting in the press box but you still will probably want a little bit more depth than that. So I would be shocked if Holland didn't add at that position somewhere on the depth chart. It's uh, it's going to be a fun deadline for the Edmonton Oilers. I, I don't expect a Matthias Ekholm addition, uh, but if they do something, a loud noise, it, it's likely to be a forward. You'd like to see maybe a right-handed center or a second-line right winger. Lots of suggestions from uh, to Foley, to uh, Tarasenko, to, to Lindholm, to Henrique and Monaghan. Uh, anybody in that group or otherwise that catches your eye, Bruce, maybe as the prime target? Well, Lindholm has the advantage that you could use him in either of those positions, right? Mm-hmm. Where he could he could play two right wing or three C, depending on uh, which uh, which you specifically needed uh, in the moment. And the Oilers do have uh, players like that. I mean Ryan McLeod. He, for instance, he's moved from three C up to two left wing, and they've done it in the past with guys like Ryan Strom. Uh, it would be uh, ideal to have a you know another right shot forward who can who can take face offs and hopefully kill penalties as well. And so I suspect that will be a uh, uh, a target. Um, whether they could pull a Lindholm out of Calgary and make the money work and you know not have to trade the next ten first round picks to make it happen, uh, I kind of have my doubts. But uh, there are good players out there, and somewhere there's a guy on an expiring contract maybe that they can get on a rental. Uh, who can check those boxes? Final question for you, Bruce. I know that um, 
I think Ken Holland kind of gets gets uh, um, criticized when when maybe that's not fair because he did sign Ryan Fanti who got hurt. Uh, he did sign Noah Philp who was was uh, retired retired after a very promising AHL rookie season. Um, certainly, DeHarnay and and uh, James Hamlin have worked out. But I think with all the trades of draft picks and young players, it is very important that the Edmonton Oilers get back in the game of undrafted free agents and signing them. Mm-hmm. For you, mm-hmm. you know, you you at the Cult of Hockey, you do prospect lists every year. How dire is it, how important is it that the Oilers start restocking, even if they don't have picks, uh, restocking the shelves? Uh, very important. Uh, I know a Philp was a beauty uh, signing. That uh, is very sad how... That worked out, and I've still retained some hope that he may unretire for next season, but it's uh, it's hardly a given. Uh, a red letter day in the Ken Holland uh, era was uh, March second of 2022 when they signed both Vincent Deharnay and James Hamblin to NHL contracts after first giving them a you know multi-year tryout on AHL deals only and when they passed the test I was actually saying hey yeah we see NHL futures for you guys here's a two year deal and both guys wound up playing you know significant amounts in the NHL and DeHarnay is still here and I mean now one of Holland's biggest headaches is how does he keep him around for future years because uh, he's on a you know below NHL minimum contract uh, that's expiring and he's UFA so that's going to be a you know a problem to solve uh, this summer uh, but there, the point being that there are useful players that can be found this, in this manner, and the Oilers have found a couple of them. And uh, ideally, they'll find one or two more because, uh, you know, they didn't need to spend a draft pick on James Hamblin. And that's a good thing because they didn't have enough draft picks to, you know, to fully stock the shelves. So that brings me to my final, final question, Bruce. Okay. Uh, which is that they've got a. I've seen him play. And they, he's not playing much, if at all, because they they cannot find room for these other young wingers. But they've got a big guy, 25 years old, Cameron Wright down there, uh, who's played 18 games, has six goals and 11 points. And he looks, I, I don't know if he's an NHL player, but he looks like an AHL player, and maybe he'll develop. But he's 25. Is is In your opinion, is it too... I, I know we're just seeing Hamlin and Darren DeHarnay, who was an older player, sign. Mm-hmm. Is there a line in the sand? Is 25 too old to bring a guy in and sign him to an NHL deal, in your opinion? Or do you think he's still, even though he's a developed player, he might be able to help? Well, the question is, is he developed or is he developing still? Is he still improving, getting better? I like what I've seen of him uh, for the most part, other than the the one game where he took a goalie interference penalty yes. with two minutes left in the tie game. Uh, that hurt. But uh, otherwise, uh, you know, I, I like his, you know, his size and his sort of general approach about stirring things up. I mean, Vincent DeHarnay, uh, how old was he when he signed his deal? It's 26, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And, yep. Yeah, and here he is as sort of a, you know, a fully established NHL caliber player. Well, I'm not sure there's any specific age limit, but obviously it's diminishing returns, and DeHarnay would be very much the exception to the general rule. Generally, you'd like to get him at, you know, young 20s and uh, uh, and and work from there. So yeah. they, well, but they got they got to explore that market because they're short of draft picks, and I have a feeling that when the trade deadline is done, they're going to be shorter than they are right now. 
and I mean, this guy's Declan's age, so he's almost done. Like you know, I mean, well, that's... yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's pushing the limit for sure. Totally. Bruce McCurdy, Cult of Hockey at the end of the journal. Thank you, sir. Have a great day. Thank you, Alan. Have a great week. All right. This is my friend Bruce McCurdy. He and I were talking Genesis uh, this morning, and uh, there's a list of, I don't know, 60 Genesis songs, and um, they didn't have, I know what I like in your wardrobe, uh, they didn't have Silent Sorrow and Empty Boats, and they had Lamb Lies Down on, on Broadway at like at 25 or something. So I was outraged. But then he went on this beautiful, uh, uh, I would say, seven or eight different DM tweet level uh, review of a couple of concerts he saw the last while. And if you're a Genesis freak, make sure you follow McCurdy and just ask him questions because he's brilliant, not only in hockey, but in... Genesis uh, knowledge and trivia. All right, we've gone late. One twenty on the way. We're going to talk a little bit about the Edmonton Oilers. We're going to talk a little bit about the Toronto Blue Jays and about the NFL. And at one forty today, our friend Declan is going to kick ass. Duncan with Declan talking NBA. Low down with low tide on Sports fourteen forty. It's the lowdown on Sports fourteen forty for Wolf GMC Buick. Visit WolfGMCBuick.com. Man, I love that song. I remember as a kid driving down the road with my parents, all of us singing terribly, along with John Denver. To this day, if if I hear Calypso by John Denver, I do the yodeling parts, and it's not good. But I have a hell of a time. I enjoy it so much. It's 127, Brentford up over Tottenham, 1-0. Tottenham has a chance to finish in top four, but this would be a devastating loss. Uh, absolute crusher. So it'll happen. Um, also, lots of texts coming in in support of our friend, Declan. Very stoked for 140 from Husks. Me too. Did you know that Country Roads, uh, Country Roads isn't about West Virginia, the state, but rather the west side of Virginia, the state? Eh? <laughs> Is that true? Well, I, he does say West Virginia. He does, but like West Virginia is its own state. Like you immediately think of West Virginia. If that's okay, but, true, but there's Virginia and yes. West Virginia. That, yes. Right? So he's saying oh, he's talking about the saying. state of Virginia, but the western part of Virginia. No, I know. I read the text. To I read the text, and I <laughs> okay. heard you say it. No, I know what you're talking. I about. know you don't understand, but let me tell you. <laughs> let me mansplain this to a man, shall I'm, I? I'm just saying that is a very cool stat. If that's true, I've obviously done no research into it myself, but that's no, very interesting. Yeah, it's just like your basketball feature coming up, <laughs> exactly like that. Uh, role play. You're Mark Stewart. Well, I, I look much better in a suit than I did a second ago. You're getting credit for the great turnaround in defense and the penalty kill, along with some guy named Coffee. What tweaks are still there to improve both areas? Ah, you know, I don't know is a terrible answer, but I think that the the level uh, hockey is not is not a overly complicated game, but but there are things I remember uh, years and years ago reading a, a blog called Fear the Fin, and they were talking about how everything funneled through Dan Boyle. They had discovered this, and then they had gone to the coach, and they said, you know, how is this working? Because everybody knows it's all going to be funneled around on the right side of the defense, and then Dan Boyle's going to shoot it out or carry it out or pass it out. And they said, well, he's that good. And so I, I think that that what I will say is the one thing that we don't have is familiarity. You know, 
the coffee has come in and Knobloch has come in. Uh, they have changed things, but they're still getting used to each other. And so the coaches may see that, that sometimes maybe DeHarnay will play with Nurse or, or maybe Bouchard will play with Broberg or I, I'm just, I think as you get more familiar with a, with the staff gets more familiar with the players that they have, they will find nuance and wrinkles and opportunity and we'll see how that goes. There's a danger there because if it stops working, then, you know, it's sometimes hard to correct it. But right now, you've got three pairings that are rocking chairs. You're basically face-off. Everybody knows their roles. They're doing it simply. It's not like the other team doesn't have video. They do. But it's one thing to see it, and it's another thing to change the execution. It's 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 not a perfect defense. I don't see Bobby Orr out there. But they're very effective working the system they're working now. And I I will say this again one million times until I no longer speak on the radio. The Edmonton Oilers twice in the last decade have have almost ruined goaltenders and have uh, seen young coaches fired over changing the way the team is structured defensively in training camp. It happened with the Swarm and Dallas Akins, and it happened this past year with Jay Woodcroft. Don't do that. It's you 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 run the risk of getting in a hole. And the way the National Hockey League is played right now, two nine and one gets you fired. And they also had Connor McDavid hurt and Matthias Ekholm hurt and Stuart Skinner wasn't playing well. Ryan McLeod was not playing well. Bottom line here is you can tweak, but fixing it in a way that costs you games as they learn, as they get used to the style, it's, it's a terrible idea. Shenandoah River is in West Virginia. I think your text is mistaken. Well, it was a great text anyway. What I do know is that I do not know the answer. My ability to know where entire countries are is limited. Just stay away from these geographical questions. And if anybody starts talking about, like, the the plains or what is you know the is is underneath the ground in various parts of Canada or anywhere else I'm out. I I did that in school. I was terrible at it. I'm not getting involved. I'm not. If you want to talk about the San Andreas fault, turn the movie on. Low tide doesn't go there. Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River identifies two clear geographic features that are more relevant to West Virginia than Western Virginia than West Virginia. Are we really doing this? I've done a little bit of a quick Google here. Take me now, Jesus! What I have come across is that there's a lively debate, but the song's refrain mentions West Virginia, but the opening lyrics refer to the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Shenandoah River, which are primarily located in Virginia. So I think our original texter might have been onto something that he is in fact talking about the western part of Virginia. But my the head, debate will roll on. My head hurts. We'll have to ask John Denver. I about so it. wish you'd played Calypso because then I could have yodeled. Have you heard Calypso? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's, of course. it's named after the famous uh, ship captain who, uh, you know, big deal there in the seventies. Was a good friend of John Denver. Uh, Country Rose is a great song. When the Flames were down with a minute and a half left during uh, a timeout, they played Country Roads in the middle of the Saddle Dome. There was kind of a backlash on Twitter. Not a pump-up song. 
I don't know. I, people love that song. I love singing it. You know, the only song I love singing more, and I sang it well, Neil Diamond sang it on stage here in Edmonton, and I thought my heart was going to explode. That's how loud it was, the pressure coming back against on my chest from people singing and the loudness of it. That's the loudest I've ever, and I've heard the Stones, heard lots of loud bands, can't hear a damn thing anymore, but I heard them. When we sang Sweet Caroline, uh, like he sang it, but the crowd sang it. And it was so, it was beautiful. God, I loved that moment. I was so glad I was a part of it. One of my favorite moments in any concert was singing Sweet Caroline. And, and that concert was so, so nice. Neil Diamond introduced his band. And this is, this is basically what he said. Uh, this is my drummer, Bob. Uh, Bob has been with me since 1962. And it, <laughs> everybody, everybody's been with him for 50 years. It's amazing. It was just an amazing, it was like, it was like listening to a family sing who just were, were so together. And it was, and Neil Young, or Neil Diamond still had a wonderful voice, as does Neil Young. John Denver is dead. Yes, I know. I know. He passed away. It was actually a, a kind of a freak accident, um, many years ago. Who is Declan? Well, that's the question. We're not really sure. We What we did was we called a, a local uh, AI company, and they sent us Declan. And we we were too afraid to ask if he is one or if he's real. So we just move and roll with the bunches. He's got a good backstory. We don't know if it's true. We're looking for Mrs. Armstrong, uh, and, but we haven't really found out any real information on him. I'm kind of like Pinocchio. I came here <laughs> as an AI bot, but your love and compassion turned me into a real boy. Oh, my God. Um, I refuse to call it anything other than Mama NDA trying to build a brand here I have legit never heard of Genesis this can't be true first of all there's the Bible book it's right right before Leviticus secondly it's a band that basically two parts one with Peter Gabriel and Collins was the drummer and then he stepped out as a solo artist and then Collins became the lead singer. They're legendary. Their music is, is just stunningly good. Big, big, Genesis is like a band that would be a staple. If you were going to learn about rock and roll history, you would, you would definitely have to have Genesis in there somewhere. They're, they're, they're central to an entire interesting area of, early 70s, late 60s rock music. You can't get by them. You can't have the history of rock and roll without Genesis. Carpet Crawler. There you go. LT, you're not listening when I say Oscar Sundquist is the cheap right shot center we're going to get. It's just that you send it all the time. I've mentioned it a few times. So has Gregor. It, we, we got it. I've got a poster on my my uh, blog, original Pozar, Ira. Great guy. But the same things happen every day, and the same comments are made. After a while, I just ignore it. I think that that's a completely natural thing to do. All right. So it's 137. We've got Atlanta getting a third NHL team. God love them. They must be offering... $78 trillion and Ted Turner's haircut to get another NHL team. That's three now. Three. 
The first Atlanta Flames are in Calgary. The second Atlanta Thrashers are in Winnipeg. I guess this is how Quebec's going to get their team. All right, it's 137 on the way. Brand new feature with great theme music. Don't miss a minute of it. If you have to go to the bathroom, do it right away because we're coming back and we're going to be Duncan with Declan right here. Lowdown with Low Tide on Sports 1440. It's the Lowdown on Sports 1440. Never been more nerdy than we are right now. Two guys in a studio who live to hear that theme song. Written by John Tesh, by the way. And w- was it CBS that ran that forever and ever as their intro? A- NBC. NBC, NBC. Okay. NBA on NBC. Oh, man. All the 90s into the early 2000s. It's just, it gets you, like, it It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're walking to the fridge, you do it with a little more torque. Man, that's the good stuff. Okay. This is the first of, we're hoping, many editions of Duncan with Declan as we talk NBA now the the Raptors are, I mean their their record is poor, but they're an interesting team, and on any given night they can win, and they played well last night. Uh, what's your thought on the Raptors? Are they are are you feeling like they're moving in a d- good direction, or is this just kind of a long term meh after winning a championship? I think when you look at it as a whole, they're moving in the right direction. I think they have a player who's going to be very good for years to come in Scotty Barnes, who can be that franchise cornerstone. I worry a little bit about Grady Dick's production so far this season. He was a lottery pick this past year out of Kansas, was brought in to really shoot the ball. Like, if we're just looking at last night alone, they won the game. They beat the Bulls, who are a team well ahead of them in the standings. Credit to them. This guy played 20 minutes, was only a plus two, and only took one shot. And if you know Grady Dick, you know he's not. Like, he he did okay. He had a couple assists, a couple rebounds. But he's a guy. He's not really a court facilitator. He's not really a perimeter defender. He's brought in to shoot the ball. And you worry that maybe this guy who you put so much draft stock in this past season what's he going to look like in the rotation that, that, that's a question for a later day right now listen i think everyone thought the season was going to go a little bit better than it had than it has so far but i think for the most part they expected this i think this was a play-in team at best now i don't know if anyone thought 17 and 30 after 47 games but i don't think the expectations were exactly high for this team i don't think anyone thought this team was going to be making the conference semifinals the conference finals no. maybe even out of the first round right so i think you know, you underperformed a little bit for sure, but when you look at the future of this team built around Scotty Barnes, the Emmanuel Quickleys, the RJ Barrett's, the Grady Dicks, if he can get a little bit better and a and a handful of draft picks, I think the future is bright for the Toronto Raptors, but it's going to be a rebuild. This year is definitely going to be a write-off. Next year, we'll see what happens. We'll see what Scotty Barnes' game looks like. We'll see what he can look like if he has to be a ball-dominant guy who can go out and give you 42 minutes a night. But overall, I think, you know, they're in the right direction, but it'll take some time. So what else do you bring us today in Duncan with Declan? Well, the one thing I want to talk about is the – there are a couple things I want to talk about because I'm a Miami Heat fan. I think I've made that known. The Miami Heat right now are the coldest team in the NBA. And I think I've said this before in this program. If not, I've said it in conversations with the people I've talked to. The Miami Heat are a team who, when they made their final in 2020 as the fifth seed, when they made it in this past season as the eighth seed, they were never a team that really showed up for a regular season. Jimmy Butler, who I think is a superstar in this league and who is... You love him. I love Jimmy Butler. My goodness, don't get me started. But I think he's a superstar in this league. He'll have nights where he'll give you 17 points. He'll have nights where he'll give you 12 points and six... Like, you know what I mean? They will take nights off, but... There's always kind of been a thought around the Miami Heat that they can kick it into gear when they need to. 
I feel that notion is starting to fade a little bit because on a seven-game losing streak, listen, you're still in the plan as of right now. I fully expect this team to be in the plan slash playoffs, but you worry about these things. And yes, it's January. Yes, it's you know, it's it's like we always say, it's a Wednesday in January. Someday, sometimes those games don't matter. But when they start to add up like this, the hole gets a little bit deeper. And moreover, not even the hole getting a little bit deeper, you start to look at yourself as a team and say, hey, do we really have the pieces we need? Like, Jimmy, you're not young. Bam, can you be an offensive guy who can play the high level of defense you need to for us to be successful and go out and get us 25 if we if we need to. Now, I like Bam a lot. Bam's a great player. He's a great center. He's a great rim protector. But you worry if his game is conducive to that. You think about how they traded a guy like Kyle Lowry, who was, you know, great for them as a leader in that locker room. You wonder what it looks like. So if I'm the, if I'm the Miami Heat, I'm a little worried because we've seen the movie before where they've done this in the regular season and then they've always kicked into gear. But I wonder if this team is able to do it with the pieces it has right now. The other thing I want to talk about is the New York Knicks Aha. are the hottest team in the they NBA are. right now. Eight game win streak. They found themselves third in the national, ba- in the Eastern Conference, in the Nas- National Basketball Association. That is incredible. Julius Randle is a guy who can go out there and get you 25, 12, 12 boards, anchor the defensive end. Jalen Brunson is a guy who 100% should have been an all-star starter. Jalen Brunson is a transcendent point guard. And people talk, you know, his size isn't going to be able to lead his team to the promised land. Now, we can talk about that at a later date because is Jalen Brunson going to be the top guy on a championship winning team? Probably not, but he's a guy who should have been an all-star starter. He's an incredible talent. OG Ananobi has been huge for that team since he's come here. The New York Knicks have everything working. What's the ceiling going to be? I'm not sure, but I think this New York Knicks team really is a team that could be in the conference finals. So what are, because the Knicks have been terrible forever, and you know what they've they've been okay. They've well, they're been, getting better. They've been but trending up. The, the Knicks fans have a bit of a misconception that they're some storied franchise that always they're not. To be con- and they're not exactly. Oh. So for what they are, they they've been okay. I, I just I, I and you know what you're right. It's like you don't pay attention, and they do get better. Um, but they've had some they've had some weird managers, man. Like they've oh, had yeah. some. Well, Phil Jackson was a disaster in that front office. Phil Jackson, because the thing with the Knicks is, like I said, they're such a storied franchise, right? They take big swings. They had Isaiah Thomas as a coach in the early 2000s, who was a legendary point guard. Miss. They brought in Phil Jackson in that front office. Huge miss. Almost drove that franchise into the ground. They were starting Pablo Prigioni and like just guys that can't, whose names you can't even pronounce or can't even bother to remember. Don't forget because, Glenn Grunwald. He was in there. Yeah, of course. So they take big swings, big misses, but like I think they are, you know, right direction. Okay. Without getting too heated about it, because I, th- I think you could feel my, you could hear my blood pressure rising a little bit. Okay, um, I, I do not think that the Seventy Sixers are a championship team this year, but they've lost four in a row, and they're sliding down. They're in, they're, I think they're tied for fourth with the Cavs. Um, what's going on there? Well, one big thing is Joel Embiid's health, Tyrese Maxey's health. I think. <laughs> Just you know, so, uh, uh, this is opposite of the Miami Heat. Some like the Miami Heat are in a slump, and you question it. The Philadelphia 76ers, if you want to call it a slump, it's a slump that's predicated on health, and it's a slump that you kind of expect in Wednesday on a Wednesday in January. It's tough to get up for 82 regular season games, man. Like it is tough to get up for 82 regular season games when your sights are set so much higher than that. And obviously, you know. Th- 
Joel Embiid sitting out against the Nuggets is not a great look. He's not played there since November 2019. You never want that from a guy in the league MVP, but you don't want to push it. This is a guy, we, we, we hear the rumblings about, oh, you know, he's, he's sitting out. He doesn't want to play this, that. This is a guy who's an MVP caliber player. This is a guy who you need healthy to have success for your team. I'm not too worried about the Philadelphia 76ers. These things happen. And like I say, it's different from Miami because Miami, it's a sleep and you're rubbing your head. It's a slump and you're rubbing your head saying, oh man, like what, like, are we sure we can get out of this? Do they have that roster with the Philadelphia 76ers? They have a player good enough in Joel Embiid that you're like, okay, these things happen. This team's going to be fine. Spurs up 2-1 now uh, over Renford, so that's good. Um, anything out west, 3-1. Oh my God. Anything out west that, that has tweaked you, your your brain in terms of the NBA? The Timberwolves have been a great story. Uh, I, I I talked about this a little bit last week when we ran this segment. I, I wonder what that front court looks like going to the playoffs. The LA Clippers, tremendous. OKC, I just think they're too young. Denver, last when we had this conversation last week, was fourth in the West. They're up to second. I do think Denver is probably going to be my team to get out of the West. Sacramento's playing well. Phoenix is playing well. The biggest one, I think, out of the West, and I know people hate to talk about it because it's a narrative done to death, and... You know, LeBron gets so much airtime, but I think oh, yeah. any time a team is LeBron, you expect them to be better than 24 and 25 after 49 yeah. games, right? Well, and, and that's just what it is. He's, he's, he's larger than life. And so everything is larger than life. And 24 yes. and 25 is, you know, they're, they're behind the Pelicans and the Pelicans have lost three in a row. So, and the Lakers are like, you know, they're, they're the Lakers, right? They're the New York Yankees. They're the Dallas Cowboys, right? They are the L.A. Lakers. If you're there, you better be performing. You better be winning. And with a guy like LeBron, who you said is larger than life, you know, certain expectations come with that, even if he is in year 21. Um, the, the, the NBA is so specifically about individual talents and, and individual matchups. Yes. So you, you feel like Denver, again, they won last year. You feel like they're coming out of the West. Who's coming out of the East, in your opinion, and and who do you favor? And I know it's a long way out. I know we got miles to go, but right now, who are in the finals and who wins? Well, I really do think that game this earlier this week between Milwaukee and Denver could have been a preview. Mm-hmm. Because I think Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez is not a guy who can give you 38 minutes a night, but he's a guy who can hold his own on the, on the, on the defensive end of the court. Giannis is obviously incredible, can get to the basket when he wants. They have big shot makers in Chris Middleton and, uh, of course, Damian Lillard. I really think Milwaukee, I, listen, I don't, uh, they lost that game, so I'm not riding their praises too high. Doc Rivers is a notorious playoff, playoff choker, but I just think they have so much talent on that team. I think Giannis is a guy who's been there before. They play defense very well. They have the acumen. I think Milwaukee would be my prediction right now to get out of the East. I can't discount Boston because they're playing such incredible basketball. Derek White is a guy who's really come on. I really like him as their point guard in that system. But right now, because I've seen it before, I can't bet against Milwaukee. Doc Rivers has 111 playoff wins. I mean, he does. He also has 104, 104 playoff losses too. So he's also lost his last five game sevens and has the most game seven losses by a coach in NBA history. It hurts, right? Yeah. Like that's like you you do that enough, and people are you know they get a little angry. You know, legendary guy, obviously. Narratives start to form around you, yeah. and narratives start to form around you deservedly so as a playoff choker. And I think Doc Rivers has earned that reputation. I know he has a ring. I get it, but still. <laughs> When you lose, when you're six and ten in game sevens with five losses in a row and haven't been out of the second round in however long, narratives form and narratives are warranted. Um, so this was good. I liked the segment. 
I love the music. But I need to talk slower. No, okay. no. I, I, your, your, your enthusiasm is contagious. Keep the enthusiasm. But the best part of it is not once in this segment have either of us mentioned Virginia or West Virginia or the Shenandoah Mountains and whatever the name of that river was. And I think that's a victory for all of us. Should we talk about it right now? we got about a minute left. Uh, no, sorry. Ever, ever just, you know, things pop up in your life and you're like, how, how, how did we get here? I, I don't understand. You know, I love the song, but now I'm, I'm actively thinking about whether or not it's Virginia, the state in the West end of the state or West Virginia. And I wonder if John Denver ever said it out loud because now I got to know. Really quickly, since we're still under the NBA umbrella, I just got we got a text in here. Hey, Declan, thoughts on Kaminga? I think Jonathan Kaminga is a phenomenal player. I think when Steph and Clay and Draymond all step away, I think that guy can be a can be a cornerstone of Golden State's franchise. Really like his game. Think he's a very very good young player. Yeah, and somebody DM me and asked uh, the name of the uh, the ship's captain that Calypso was after. It was Jacques Cousteau. He was a friend of John Denver's. So I think we've covered everything now. Denver. In the NBA, John Denver, the musical singer. See it all it all wraps up beautifully. How many how many NBA teams in, in Virginia and West Virginia? Zero. Yeah. They're smaller Fish states. Is. Yeah. Except they're all over music. Okay, thanks so much for tuning in. Bruce McCurdy, our guest. We love him very much. We enjoyed that. Zach Lang was excellent. I love Duncan with Declan. We'll do it again next Wednesday. Jason Greger is on the way. Thanks so much for tuning into the lowdown. Please enjoy your day. <laughs>